Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer Live, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. This week, we have Mr. Josh Lewis back with us. Josh, welcome to the show. Jeb, I'm going to have to say that of all of the bad music you have forced upon us. <laughs> that one was intro, pretty bad, wasn't that it? That was the worst. There it were actually annoying little children that sound like they were trapped in purgatory, like mumbling in the background. Like, oh, I think, that's fantastic. I Those think you're, you're trolling us with this stuff at this point. That was my kids. Hey, dude, try to find free, good free music on the internet. It is difficult to do. And that's not even free. I have to pay for that garbage. So... Just so we're being clear. But anyhow, guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, many of you know we're here to answer real estate and mortgage-related questions, give you our thoughts on the housing market. Over the, cat, the last week, we've received a couple of different updates on the housing market, and uh, which has created the title of this video, which is we, we are in a new market. We've received existing home sales reports, which were declining, and, and we kind of expected that based on what was happening with the number of sales, we had the Fed come out and basically saying that what a soft landing is very challenging at this point. You got housing affordability hitting a 15 year low. And lastly, rates continuing to be unstable and rising. So, Josh, why don't we start the show by talking a little bit about interest rates? So there's there's the fun part. We got that hot CPI figure uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was I think it actually came out the day that the, the last show that I did. Um, then a little bad day in the bond market the day after that, and then Friday and Saturday or Friday and Monday, the bond markets looked up and said, "Hey, this is not not good," um, which is what kind of forced the Fed's hand to go to a, a three quarter point hike versus the the half planned. Um, and it certainly sounds like they're going to go three quarter next month. And this is the part of the show where we just reiterate that mortgage rates do not follow Fed actions. They led the Fed in this case, um, and then the Fed has brought back a, a little bit of credibility and gave us a little bit of improvement. Um, you know, we've been talking here for probably the better part of two months that we think we're nearing somewhere near a, a peak in mortgage interest rates. And that hot CPI figure definitely gave us another bump. So to answer the question, let me sort of step back to where we are right now in terms of treasuries because mortgages never get too far away from treasuries but there's some interesting things happening right now so we saw an unexpected rally uh today in bonds and the 10-year treasuries at 3.16 we had got almost to 3.5 a, a week or so ago before the fed acted so you see um, the bond markets saying maybe the fed's losing control of this inflation fight and rates spike Fed takes action, they kind of like it, and they improve. So what we've said all along is somewhere around 3.5, 3.65 is probably a ceiling on, on where treasuries are going to go. Now, Jeff, you and I have talked a lot about what does that mean for, for interest rates. That spread, it's sort of a, a caveman style of figuring out where rates should be. Um, but normally, a 3.5, 10-year uh, treasury would tell us somewhere around 5% on rates. 
when we were at three and a half the other week, we were up around six and a quarter. So it's a bigger spread than normal. The reason for that is that lenders don't believe rates are going to stay at this level. So when you see volatility in the bond markets, lenders don't want to pay a bunch of money for mortgages. They'll do it for treasuries because there's no prepayment risk on treasuries. But on your mortgage, there's absolutely a prepayment risk. We talk all the time about the good thing about a house is you can fix the price and then roll the interest rate down as you go as the market improves over the years. But that's a, that's a bug, not a feature to the lender making the money. They are lending the money. They want to know where they're at. So long way of saying. And, and with that said, Josh, I'm hearing a lot of lenders right now use the quote, marry the house and date the rate basically means find the right house date the rate for now and as the rates at some point in theory come down in the future you can get a lower rate marry the rate at that point absolutely and it's it's a theory because none of us know it to be a fact but it's a real good theory when when you see every day we're getting softening numbers in in uh, consumer confidence softening home sales and this stuff is related largely to interest rates. The interest rates are high because of inflation. And the Fed and, and President Biden um, can point to some things that were outside of their control that have led to it, but a lot of things they absolutely do control. Um, so we're looking plus or minus 6% on a conventional loan right now, depending on how well, well qualified you are. Probably the biggest issue that we're seeing is if you have a lower credit score or if you're buying an investment property where there's a lot of uh, loan level price adjustments, lenders are not wanting to pay up for higher note rates because again, they think those are going to run off or they're unlikely to stay on their books. So you're seeing more loans quoted with a point. Um, I had a VA loan this week that we had to do uh, with a point because if the borrower didn't pay the point, instead of normally we could go up a quarter of a percent and avoid that, we had to go up almost five eighths of a percent to avoid it. So that's one of the unique things that you're seeing uh, in the market right now. So your your government stuff is is low to mid fives. Your conventional stuff is is plus or minus six percent, depending on how well qualified you are, how much you have to put down. Um, and we have some good portfolio options right now. And Jeb, one, something that you and I didn't talk about today, and I don't know if it made its way to Housing Wire or anywhere else, but last night, our friends over at United Wholesale did one of their about every six month uh, pricing wars that they like to, to kick off. So um, as of today, uh, on the wholesale side, brokers have access to a lender called United Wholesale. Retail lenders are really struggling with, with margins and lower volume and heavy overhead. United Wholesale saw this as an opportunity to arm brokers with even lower interest rates and make it really hard on retail lenders in the current market. So we have two lenders that are incredibly well-priced. And as of this morning, United Wholesale is a half point better, not in interest rate, but zero points with one of those lenders who was already really well-priced is like a half point lender credit uh, with United Wholesale. So um, if you are in the market and you haven't talked to a broker, make sure you talk to a broker. It's it's uh, definitely worth looking at. The spreads between retail and brokers are, are usually significant, especially on higher price points, but they're especially significant now with that product being available. Good stuff. So always, you know, again, it, it's good to talk to multiple people like Josh mentioned. Now, something I've noticed um, being on the real estate side is, you know, obviously there's a slowdown out there. I think we've all experienced it. If you've been in the market, if you've been to open houses as buyers, less people out there shopping, less offers, buyers taking longer to make decisions. 
partly due to the change in market. Um, no question, right? When interest rates go up that much that quickly, it puts the brakes on things. And I don't think we've seen the true effects, right? I mean, we're still, you know, seeing year over year appreciation numbers. And, and the way they do that is somewhat misguided as far as I'm concerned, because now the market's, you know, decelerating, if you will, but yet they're still showing year over year, you know, reaching new new levels or what have you. But that's a whole different conversation. But what I will say is that inventory, I feel like has not peaked, but it has definitely slowed over the last probably 10 days to two weeks. The number of properties coming to the market has slowed considerably to say the prior month, two months uh, leading up to that. Part of it is, you know, again, buyers looking to get their homes on the market or sellers rather looking to get their homes on the market. And so they've done that in the spring. But now you're starting to get some of the seasonality play, right? If you go back and, and you just took all the numbers away and you just looked at the ebbs and flows of the market, the market is starting to fall back into what we would have said two years ago, two and a half year, years ago was a normal pattern, right? So you start the year low number of 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 homes it, it climbs into you know march april may and then it starts to decline a little bit as you head to the summer and then maybe you get a little bit of pop at the end of summer which you typically don't really go do it's more of a stabilization and then things kind of again just continue to move down with regards to inventory the number of home sales all of that declines into the end of the year and then that cycle starts over Last year was different because, you know, summer ended and people came back and started buying homes again. We thought, you know, midsummer last year, we were talking about, hey, things are slowing a little bit. And then all of a sudden we got the big pop. This year, I think you're just going to continue to see the slow, but I don't think you're going to see the inventory build quite like people are expecting just because of how low rates are and where people are locked in on some of these you know, interest rates. I'm having the conversation. People are posting on my videos saying, why would I give up what I have here to go buy something that's more expensive and pay a, you know, a much higher rate. And that's the mentality that's going on out there. And so yes, a slowing is going to happen, but it's inventory. Again, I'll say it. And we've been saying it for two years is still historically low. It's going to build, but we're still a long ways away from any sort of uh, levels of inventory that's going to cause a, a big decline in prices. So just, you know, and then somebody commented a, a moment ago in the chat and I, I flagged it and I'll throw it up here in a minute and ask about the days on the market, how the days on the market, if you look, you know, at the California, at the uh, National Association of Realtors, isn't really moving. It, it shows that the days on the market are still really low. And I looked at that as well and thought that's really confusing because the days on the market are going up. I, I, it's, you know, it's one of those indicators that I don't really pay so much attention to because I'm in the market and I kind of feel what the days on the market are. But I can tell you that the days on the market that they're posting don't don't look accurate to me. It looks like I mean, we've seen the days on the market here locally probably add two, two and a half weeks to those numbers. We're probably sitting 35, 40 days here locally for days on the market where it's still posting like 17 or 18 days. Um, so just keep that in mind. And then anybody locally, Orange County today, 3,323 homes, Huntington Beach, 211. So both of those numbers are pretty close to where they were last week. Not a big change there. Um, and that kind of goes along with the slowdown that I was talking about.
Jeb, I, I have, a, this is funny, my wife and I were walking around the neighborhood and we haven't seen a spike in listings, but there's a few homes listed around the neighborhood. And unlike, you know, six months ago where everyone, you're like, that is an absurd price. Everyone seems to have settled in and said, this seems to be a reasonable price, but it got me to thinking some of the additional inventory that's coming to market now, and it's not just a matter of, of less homes going under contract. There were for the last six weeks or so more homes coming into the market. And I started thinking there are a lot of people who were holding off, like they wanted to sell, but they're like, well, if it's going to go up. I'm just going to keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. And what we're going to find out as those come on the market, how many of those people are interested in selling versus committed to selling? Because it seems like some people were like, ah, these numbers are so great, but they haven't really done their research. Like you were talking about, where am I going to go? What am I going to pay? What's it going to cost? And am I really going to get the crazy number that I expected? Because as we're sitting here, everyone's used to June, July being the highest uh, price months. If you look at seasonality and price, because th those are the things that are going under contract early in the late in the spring, early in the summer. Um, so there's a lot of that. I'm going to wait and just see if I can get into the summer. For me, that property that I own in Orange, we ran the lease right into May of next year so that if we wanted to sell, that's when we would come on the market. So w what are your thoughts? Do you think any of any of the pop in sellers with some of those people that were holding on wanting to squeeze out a few more dollars and, oh, I'm and sure. I like mean, they seller, missed that opportunity? Absolutely. There's greed in, in all of that, right? Wanting to get the absolute highest price and not absolutely not having to do it at that time. So waiting a little bit longer. I think there's definitely some of that. Um, there's fear, right? People seeing you know, the headlines, the market's crashing, the market's slowing, the market's shifting, the market's whatever the title is. And people are like, crap, like, I don't know, I'm going to sell like now's the time and, and throw their homes on the market. But what I can tell you is that even the homes that are coming up, nothing to me, like, I haven't seen a price where I'm like, wow, that looks like a good value for, for that property. I mean, and that sounds absurd. Uh, because I mean, I've been selling these properties for the last couple of years, but it's still like the numbers out there that, that sellers are still asking for properties granted. I mean, there's comps to support it, so I get it, but it's just, you know, the numbers are still really high people. It's, there's no big declines in prices. And if you're out there looking, you know it. And I think that's part of, you know, um, the hurdle that buyers have to, to get over is that, you know, not only are rates up, prices are up and prices probably aren't really going to go too far. So the question is, do you buy now or do you wait and hope that rates come down at some point in the future and then the demand doesn't come back? And that's the question that everybody has. Everybody says, you know, well, I'm going to be a buyer when more inventory comes, when the right property comes, I'm going to buy it. And like we've said, Josh, when, when the rubber hits the road and, and rates double, and then more inventory comes, people are like, shit, I don't want to be the first buyer. I'm, I'm going to sit and kind of see how this thing plays out. I'm a bit scared. And so you've got that. And then you've got people just the affordability play. So there's a lot going on. And, and a lot of it is it's mental, right? I mean, it is, is the mental hurdle of of pulling the trigger and, and saying, yeah, I'm going to do it uh, because it is scary. I mean, and there, there's remorse. There's real remorse when you buy a house. I don't care how much you love it. When you sign that contract and you go under contract, it's a big purchase. And so you question whether or not it's the, the right decision. Even in a market two years ago, when people saw price gains, you know, year over year, 
since then have been 30%. Those people questioned what they were doing at that time. And so you're not alone if you're a buyer out there just questioning whether or not it's the right time. You just got to, you know, again, we've talked about it, have that longer term time horizon and not be not be stretching yourself too much. Other than homes that we were going to flip and be in and out of in two, three, six months, I've never signed a set of loan docs for a property that I was going to hold and sat there and gone, this feels awesome. It's it's never. a big debt. No matter no matter how much you love the property, and like in, in almost all of the homes that, that I own, we've owned for a long time. We know I, I dude, I have remorse like when them. I buy a a hundred fifty dollars pair of shoes. Like I buy a pair of shoes and I'm like shit. That was a lot of money. Should I have bought a pair you're, of shoes that were You're fancy. Bucks? Why are you buying these expensive shoes? Go to Dude, Walmart. every pair of workout shoes now is like 150 bucks. Like every pair. It doesn't matter what brand. They're all 150 bucks minimum. And it's no, I'm I'm being facetious when I say the remorse thing, but it's it literally, I mean, when you have a purchase and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's normal to have some sort of weird feeling whether or not you're and then you've got all of the headlines playing into it it's it's a scary time people uh but we're here to educate and guide you so that's what we're going to do now josh let's um i flagged a couple questions here that we can go through Um, 14 of them so this one's a good one this one i want to start with because this I i mean this one's there's no clear cut answer to it but it's something that that i've asked myself uh, and that is logical thinker coming in and said, what do you think Powell meant when he said young people looking to buy a home need a reset? So when I think that I immediately think buyers, well, because I'm, I'm more bullish on housing probably than anything else. Buyers need a mental reset on what the market looks like now because of rates being higher. That's what I think of like buyers need a reset, but what what do you think he meant? Do you think he meant house prices need to pull back? Do you think like what do you think he meant by that? So Malden in his newsletter the other week um, had a chart of the lifetime uh, real world experience of every voting member of the Fed. Do you want to know how many of them have ever worked out in in corporate America real world in jobs? Oh, it was only a couple. Two, one, oh, zero. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was two, but yeah. it, it was two that had some sort of kind of experience, but it wasn't, it was like a, un, a university or something. It wasn't real, real experience. So when you look at that, these people are so out of touch that he thinks he's extending an olive branch saying, Hey, we got to look out for these younger people. We need a reset here. I think he meant it. I think he meant that, um, you know, here's the upshot to this is that we'll put the stop to the housing market because really they they have and they will but what do i say when i say they it's not the fed the fed's actions the last two years pushed home prices this high and pushed inflation this high and the bond markets were going to react with rates this high that will cause what's coming next so it's not like i'm giving them credit for it because they caused the problem um you know you and i talked uh, just earlier this week that how much demand was pulled forward from the next couple of years? You know, not everyone is able to expedite their timeline. If you say, hey, I'm going to buy when I'm 26, I'll be finished with college, I'll have two years of work and I'll know where I want to settle. And it gives me time to save a down payment. Maybe you don't have the ability to move up that timeline. But some people over the last two years rightly looked and said, hey, I want to wait until 2023, but that's not realistic. These prices are going up fast and rates are really low. So we've 
all of that. Your your question was specifically about Powell and, and what did he mean by it? I, I think he meant it. They caused a problem. They're too dumb to admit and acknowledge how and why they caused the problem. And he thinks that, that that's an olive branch, but not realizing that we've talked before how important it is for the Fed to not have housing take a big dip because not only do you have the jobs I, people don't realize how many jobs are related to housing even just places like home depot and lowe's do very well when home values are up and people are, are investing in their homes even when it's a do-it-yourself project you've got construction jobs you've got uh, mortgage jobs but we've we've had a plenty of good job a good time for the last two years i'm not saying feel bad for us but there's that and then you also have the wealth effect from home values being high. You know, I, I don't know if you got a chance to read that report I sent over uh, earlier today from the American Enterprise Institute, but I, I didn't dig into the footnotes of how they quantify it, but they have a predictor of, of how long the wealth effect will last. And they're saying for the lower quintiles of homeowners, so they break, they break the population into 20% groups. And on the lower income groups, they're saying the wealth effect from homeownership is gone. They're saying the top two quintiles are likely to feel it through the rest of the year as higher priced homes go up, uh, continue to go up in value while lower priced homes um, due to affordability constraints are, are going to have a more difficult time. Now, I, I, I started diving into it. I didn't get all the way into it, but yeah, I'll take a look at it and we can talk about it more. Uh, but the, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the Fed, what the Fed did, you know, when they inter interviewed Powell earlier today, basically said, you know, again, a soft landing is, what did he say? Very challenging. It was his word. So in for anybody out there watching, what he means is a recession's coming and, you know, they're not going to come out and just say that, but that's essentially what you have to look forward to. So again, you know, this is a time when people cut back on, on, you know, expenses that aren't necessary. Um, and it's going to take, you know, again, you're not going to see this effect in the market for six months, eight months, probably really when people really have to tighten, uh, the budgets and it'll be, be interesting to see what it has. A lot of people believe it'll be a short-lived recession, you know, uh, one that's not, it doesn't have a huge impact on, on you know, uh, versus being more of a shallow type recession. So less impactful, if you will, uh, but it'll be interesting to see. And, and we've got some questions related to that too, Josh. Um, someone asked earlier, let's see if I can find it, um, about layoffs. So, you know, we're in one of the best employment um, positions we've been in in decades with regards to the number of, of people employed. So what do you think a recession, right? Obviously, layoffs happen. Is is there a huge impact on housing at that point? I mean, I, I see here's what I struggle with when when people talk about layoffs and, and recessions and whatever right now. Every, almost every business out there has some sort of help wanted sign, even in a position where we have some of the best employment we've had in, in decades, people are still looking for good workers to come in and work. So when you have job layoffs happen, how many of those people getting laid off won't be able to actually go find a job? That's my question is like, you know, you could get a job if you want one. It's or are you under the mindset, well, I got laid off, so therefore I'm not going to work and I'm just going to collect unemployment? Hey, you, you said you paid for a, a Bloomberg subscription, didn't you? Yeah. 
I, I got to send you the link. I, I, I've read too many of them, but uh, they ran an article today that was saying um, that the the Fed's preferred measure of of unemployment is overstating the tightness in the, the labor market. Um, we're seeing like if you look right now, you look at the companies that have had uh, major layoffs. Um, FinTech and mortgage right. um, yeah. heavily, heavily represented there. So a lot of those people, it's not necessarily, you don't have a FinTech skill set. You have a skill set that was largely absorbed by FinTech companies here recently. So those folks should be able to find jobs in other industries that are less impacted. You know, if I were to sit here and, and guess of, of what's next, I think we're going to head to a recession. I don't think it's going to be a tremendously bad recession where we see unemployment spike to what in the great recession, we were up at 10%. If we went from four to seven, that's about half of what uh, of what the Great Recession looked like, and that's probably you know somewhere along the lines of a, of a worst case scenario. And what you end up seeing, Jeb, to your point, was it's no one goes through and and says, I guess when you're a big Fortune 500 company, you're going to cut 20% of your workforce. There's obviously some good, valuable employees that are going to lose their jobs there. But if you have a 20-person workforce and you're going to cut 20%, you're going to go, who are the four least valuable people around here? So from that perspective, most of those folks, you know, your stable homeowner types are going to be safer from that. Like if you go back, so even though in the Great Recession we hit 10% unemployment, that was largely um, driven by lower in uh, lower income levels uh, were impacted at higher rates, and then also lower education levels. So we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of of student loans and education and that whole boondoggle right now. But um, homeowners tend to be older, more educated higher net worth, higher incomes. So it will impact housing less than it will impact other things, but it would be foolish to say it's not going to impact it at all. No. And all those mortgage people can go back and get their jobs at uh, wherever they were working prior to. I was going to say some jobs, but I decided not to and hold off and be nice on where they were probably working prior to coming to mortgage. But uh, when the times are good, there's a flock of people, real estate mortgage, and then a lot of those people, unfortunately, aren't going to be in the business um, here in the next six to eight months just because of the changes happening. Uh, but anyhow, let's move along. So, Josh, uh, we got Andrew saying, have you noticed? Oh, this is the median time on market. So I did notice this. I believe the data, again, I don't believe it's accurate. Um, I believe days on the market are higher than what they're they're quoting at the moment. Um, I'm not sure exactly, you know, typically it's when a house comes on the market versus when it goes under contract. I, I you know, I, I, I see time on the market being longer than what they're noting. Um, so I, I give it, you know, very, very little um, uh, credence, if you will, at this point. So um, we've got, let's see, Jonelli, Jonelli. Watch you guys every week. Thanks for the amazing info. Appreciate you being here. Um, Claudia says, from Riverside, California, ready to buy a house. But now I'm debating between keeping... Keep on saving. Keep on saving a, money to might avoid have been a talk to property text mortgage there. insurance. <laughs> it's like reading a license plate. You're really good. <laughs> and so doing that, uh, maybe house prices will go down a little bit. So, you know, I don't even know if we want to go down this rabbit hole of the idea of saving money um, to avoid mortgage insurance versus house prices going down. But here's what I'll say. Areas like Riverside, San Bernardino, you're going to see prices more affected in those markets. 
um, than you are, say, in, in Orange County, just because, again, we've talked about this before, a little bit further from the coast, a little bit um, less desirable, um, if you will, from, from different standpoints. And so those markets are probably going to be hit a little bit harder. But what I will say is they have less expensive homes. Therefore, more buyers can qualify, excuse me, for homes in those markets, which should kind of create some stability there. Uh, well, but hold, can hold. you save? Can you hold, save? Hold, yeah. hold on to, to that thought, because in that American Enterprise Institute, he's heavy on this and he's a data guy. So there's data behind it. He's more concerned for entry level, heavily FHA markets, just because like we were talking about, those those people are generally younger, entry level they're more um more at risk when there are layoffs things of that sort so i definitely understand and I, I see your logic where you're coming from but he's the one guy that's repeatedly banging that drum that they see more stress in entry level heavily fha markets I, but i i also see the other side of that i mean clear a bit where more people can qualify for that so even if you take away some of the buyers that were buying in that price point now you have buyers that were maybe looking at a higher price point that will settle maybe for something a little bit less because now their affordability isn't quite there, right? Because rates are higher. So now instead of being able to afford the $500,000 home, they're looking at the 425 home and therefore those buyers shift down. I, I don't know. I, I just, that's what I think of when I think of, you know, who's being affected. Yeah. The, the, the entry level buyers are definitely being affected, but, they're more affordable homes. Therefore, you got more people that can still afford them. I don't know. So, but with that being said, Josh, can you save money as fast as, as the, you know, with regards to, to avoiding mortgage insurance, right? So you need 20% well, down. So on a, you know, a what's the median home price now? 410,000 or something. So you've, you've got to have what? 20,000. You got to get 5% yeah. to get to the next tier of mortgage insurance pricing. So either to make the mortgage insurance go down or 20% to make it go away. So you got to get to $80,000 on that median price home to make it go away. Another 20,000 to decrease it. What I tell everyone is do not believe the, believe the myths you've heard about mortgage insurance and do not believe the online calculators. They're all over the place. They're all high. Getting an accurate quote for mortgage insurance is really difficult. So make sure even you're talking to a mortgage person, say, did you, where did you get this number? Did you look at one? Like I have one of my lenders that literally has a pricing engine for mortgage insurance. It compares seven uh, different mortgage insurance companies. And it can be as much as an eighth of a percent difference, a quarter percent difference on, on lower credit scores, higher loan to value. But what I always like to say is for well-qualified people that are putting 10%, 15% down, mortgage insurance is almost insignificant. Even at 5%, um, it's generally better to get in versus um, watching what can happen in the market while you're not building equity, either through appreciation or paying down principal. But uh, obviously the calculus is changing. Last year, we're at double digit growth. We're seeing a more normal market. If the market's going up one, two, 3% a year, it can be justifiable depending on how quickly you can uh, can save. The important part is make sure you're getting a real number based off of your down payment, your price, your type of loan, your credit scores, and the number of borrowers on the file. Because a lot of times people are shocked at how, how low the mortgage insurance is relative to what they're thinking it's going to be. No, always. Good stuff. Um, let's see what we got here. 
Um, Matthew, I just clicked Matthew's question. I just canned him uh, by accident. He was talking about the number of credit card offers in there. So basically said, are you noticing the number of credit card offers coming in the mail? Um, I haven't really noticed an uptick, but um, I know there's, I mean, obviously, you know, I heard a commercial the other day for some credit card and I looked at my wife and I was like, they like these people are so egregious and and who they were marketing to was so bad. I was like, this is the reason that the American uh, Americans are so in debt is because like literally they're offering credit. And I forget what it was exactly, but that's what made me think of it. And, and Matthew, unfortunately, I canned your question. Um, so I don't have it here in front of me, but. Uh, yeah, the, the credit companies always come out when, uh, when times are tough and you'll see more people taking on more credit. There's no question. Let's see. Josh, uh, Ivy says we locked in 150 days on a 30 year fixed at 3.75 for a new home. The builder stated closing date of July 12th lock, uh, the rate locked rate expires on July 13th. Should we pay an additional fee to extend locked rate or risk it? There's, there's no question there of risking it. If they're telling you it's going to, it's going to be within a day, um, you know, you don't have to extend the rate lock now we're a month out. So you need to extend it probably a day before we've, we can extend it the day that it expires. Now, I don't know how your, your lender or the builder's lender looks at that. So find out how late you have. Um, I wouldn't extend it early because you might buy insurance you don't need, but it sounds like you're likely to need it because the builders get pushed late. So just find out how late you can push off that decision and keep checking in with the builder. When are they going to get your certificate of occupancy and when can you close? Because you absolutely positively do not want to risk losing that interest rate. I mean, if we're saying conventional loans are in the high fives, a 2% difference on a decent sized loan is a ton. You cannot lose that interest rate. So whatever you do, if you have to extend, you're going to extend. Just find out how late you can push off that decision. Good stuff. Uh, Jay Homeboy says, what is your take on a house in Sacramento area? Uh, originally, the price was $680,000 in late May. Two weeks later, price jumped to $730,000, $50,000 higher. Two weeks later, price dropped to $705,000. Uh, I'm like, this seller is not ready to sell. So here's what's interesting. I have a client right now has a property listed for $550,000. It's a little condo. Um, her neighbor across the way, listed their property originally for $550 um, and received multiple offers at $550. So the same price as ours. This is prior to us coming on the market. They they wanted $575. They didn't get $575. So therefore, they ended up raising the price to $575. So they raised it $25,000 and clearly didn't get the attention that they wanted at $575. So they pulled it off the market. And as of today, about an hour ago, it came back on the market at $544. So they went from 550 to 575 back on the market at 544, which is lower than where they had three offers when they originally listed. So people are crazy, um, just so you know. Um, sellers are greedy and many times misinformed and don't understand how the market works in some of these situations. And so when you've got three people, you know, giving you the price that you want and you want a higher price you know, obviously doesn't make any sense. So in this, in this case, it sounds like, you know, they came on at 680, maybe got some attention, a number of calls. Somebody said, let's go higher in price and see if we can get it. And they didn't get it and ended up reducing. So looks like a similar story. Um, it's hard to say in this case, whether or not the seller needs to sell or wants to sell. Um, 
you know, it's just one of those things. It's uh, people always think they have, not always, most of the time, people always think they have the best property. And we're coming out of a market right now, again, where everybody has an opinion on housing, what's going to happen to housing, how they bought their house, what your agent should be doing, what they're not doing, all of that stuff. And so everybody's remembering, again, six months ago when there were multiple offers going way above the asking price, didn't have to do anything. The sellers today, a lot of them still think they're in that market and they're not. So I would tell you, make an offer at 680, make it lower than their original offer. You know, clearly at one point, 680 was a number that they would have accepted. And that wasn't that long ago. Um, so that to me is, is some sort of, you know, their cards are on the table with regards to a price at some point they were willing to accept. And that was less than, you know, six weeks ago. Anyhow, so hopefully that's helpful. Uh, and someone asked a question a little bit further down here in this one. David says, is it common to see listings being removed and added back to refresh the time on market? I've noticed a few listings in the San Diego disappear, then reappear. So it doesn't work exactly like that. So here in Orange County, the way our MLS works, San Diego is the same way. A property, when you pull it off the market, has to be off the market for 90 days in order to reset that days on market. So that way you can't just list a home for a week and pull it off and then relist it without the, the cumulative days on market changing. So you can do it every 90. So just keep that in mind, but no, that's, that's a, that's a common thing that happens as the market. You know, we haven't seen it in, in honestly in a couple of years because homes sell very quickly or have been selling very quickly. So people weren't in a position to have to pull it off and then relist it. But when people price it too high to start with, and then they want to start with the idea of reducing it in order to kind of get that reset, they pull it off. But what I'll tell you is all the websites out there now, the Zillow's, the Realtor.com's, the, you know, what's the other one that everybody uses? Redfin. Redfin. They, they all show when it was on the market last, how long it was on there, what price it was on. So buyers have all the information. So it's not like anybody can trick anyone now with looking at days on the market because there's a full history. Jeb, is it the same, not just with a, a price change, but with an agent change? So let's yeah. say, you know, someone pitches their agent overboard <laughs> and a week later lists with a new agent. So even though the agent ID changes, it's looking at the address and showing total time. Exactly. On so days on the market stay stay on there. Um, otherwise people would just switch agents and say, I want a new agent and whatever. Yeah. So if I take on a listing, that's just been on the market, if I want that reset to happen, it's 90 days. So, and in some markets it might be different than 90, but that's what it is here in California. Um, or in, in orange County on our MLS, uh, what is the best way to prevent squatters in California? The best way to prevent them is doing all the due diligence or as much due diligence as you can up front. but there's no, there's no you know, hard, fast rule that says, you know, you, you're not going to have a squatter because you do this, but it's verifying credit up front, verifying employment, you know, um, savings assets, as well as checking references. I mean, that's all you can do really initially when, when trying to find a tenant and you're trying to do all of that on the front side before you get someone, but that doesn't prevent someone from coming in and not paying and just staying. I mean, but again, you, you typically try to find people that are stable, that have, you know, something to lose, uh, and therefore wouldn't be a squatter. But outside of that, Josh, you have any, uh, any suggestions? Treat it like, um, a young gentleman is coming to pick up your daughter for prom 
have a shotgun next to you while you're screening them and let them know that this home is your job. So this home does its job and puts a roof over them every day and it expects to get paid at the end of the month. <laughs> there you right? go. I like it. You know, my house expects to get paid. My house expects to get paid and this shotgun here enforces its, uh, its desires. All right. Good stuff. Um, Ty Sue says the chance of recession coming is high. How long does a recession normally last and what kind of impact does it have on housing? Historically speaking, thanks. So a recession typically lasts, uh, about a year, um, what 12 to 18 months, I think it is. Uh, whereas I, I think the average is like 11 months if, if I remember correctly, but it's 12 to 18 months on, on, you know, it will just use 12 to 18 months, but it's three and a half years of growth followed by like a year, year and a half of, of some sort of pullback is, is typically how recessions work. Now, what kind of impact does it have on housing historically? Historically, housing has done very well, uh, in recessions. There's only two recessions where housing has been impacted, um, and one was the, the, the impact was actually caused, um, by, by what was happening with regards to housing. The recession was actually caused by housing. That was the last one we went through. But other than that, it's, it's, it's fared very well. Um, home prices have moved sideways to up during recession. So, you know, housing is one of those things that people still have to have even in tough times. So, um, especially when, Rates are, are, are super low um, on what they have and, and you know, uh, the amount of equity that people have now. $27.8 trillion is what I saw the, the last reading. Uh, but as home prices stabilize in some areas, they'll come down. Some of that equity will get eaten up, so you won't have quite as much. But the, the reality is that people, you know, if they need to get out, there's, there's an opportunity for them to do that without having some sort of distress sale. Jeb, I like your recall. The average recession lasted 10 months, but okay. 11 is an important figure. There's been 11 recessions since 1948 with an average length of, of 10 months. Um, the interesting one, I should Google here how long the uh, last recession uh, lasted. Not, it was not about the, a not, week. Not the COVID one-week recession, <laughs> the last real recession prior to that. As soon as I said that, I, I, so, so I think that one was 18, I, I want to say 18 months. But I don't remember. Maybe, maybe, maybe wrong. Um, resume, resume. Look at that. Um, how how come Huntington Beach uh, price reductions are so huge? A hundred thousand or so on a one point two, one point three million dollar home. So typically, you won't see a price re uh, reduction of that much or that caliber at a price that high, unless it's just price wrong to start with. Um, so, you know, in this market, I don't think it's crazy on a 1.5, $1.6 million house to see over time, a hundred thousand dollar price reduction. Um, because many times those homes are, are priced higher than where they need to be to get, you know, to start with. So some of that is, is already built in, I mean, in, in needing to reduce the price before you ever get going. Um, but I would say the, I don't know what the average price, um, improvement is, but I would say probably five. 5% is probably the right number is what I would, what I think of when I think of price reductions on a lot of property. For me, it's a little bit about feel. What, what are other properties selling for in these markets? What are they doing? Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that a hundred thousand is, is a normal price reduction or something that you would see often um, unless the property is way overpriced to start. Uh, let's see. DKG, I am trying to buy, but my realtor wants me to offer more than asking even now. 
kind of annoying. Can I break my contract with her? So the Jeff, answer before 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 yep. you answer, can you break that into two different parts? One, yep. the the realtor pushing you to make offers over asking, and then talk about the contract with her. Well, let's let's talk about like. So I would ask the realtor, why am I offering over the asking price for this particular property? You know, what what in the market is telling you I need to offer over the asking price? Like, show me comps of, of properties that have sold to give me an idea of where I need to be price wise. Like I have one right now that's that's not similar to this, um, but in fact, they're, they're clients here and they're working with, with one of my agents and they want to offer significantly less than the asking price on, on some of these properties. I mean, a property just came on the market. Let's just say it was one, three, they want to offer like one, one, five. It'd been on the market four days. The comps don't support anything close to where they want to offer. It supports the one, three price point. And so my, the agent's trying to have a conversation with the buyer saying, listen, the number that you're you're trying to offer doesn't it's it's not supported by the market. Now I told her just make the offer. Like some people, sometimes people need to learn in this market that it doesn't work exactly like you as a buyer thinks it's going to work. Especially when they're getting calls, the 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 listing agent on the other side is saying they have offers. Like okay, don't believe me and make the offer at whatever you want. But if you want my advice as a real estate agent, then you need to listen to it. So if you don't trust your real estate agent, then that's a whole different conversation. But I would find out why, why are you doing it? If it's a market that is slowing and you're seeing a bunch of property and there's a lot of options for you, maybe you don't need to, to offer above the asking. There are agents that are out of tune with the market and think it's still what it was months ago. And then there's agents that understand what the market's doing and and can see where you don't necessarily have to come in above the asking price. But market, you know, real estate's local. You know, like like I would tell you here locally in my market, there are properties that you could price you could offer lower than the asking price, and there are properties that are going to sell above the asking price. So which side are you on? Now, as far as the contract goes, you know, that's one of those things that's a little bit more difficult to navigate. Um, you know, I'm the kind of agent. I, I don't have buyer broker agreements. I don't do them. But if if I if I have somebody that doesn't want to work with me, I let you out of the contract. I'm like, why am I going to tie somebody to a, a, a piece of paper that doesn't want to work with me? That's how I do business. Not all agents do business like that, unfortunately. So I would have the conversation and say, hey, listen, I've lost my trust in you or however you want to navigate it and and say that you're you you're looking for somebody else. And if they won't do it, then you go to the broker and and try to go up from there. But um most of the time people are willing, reasonable people would be willing to work with you. So I don't know if that gave you your answer or not, but that's my answer. Anyhow, um, let's see what we got here. So Mark Austin says, what do you think of the home investor loans where they take a stake of your equity? I'm only asking because my DTI is too high for a HELOC. So Josh, any, any, any thoughts on this? So, if you had asked this question anytime in the last couple of years, you'd say, well, that's crazy because uh, the appreciation was, was pretty rapid. So you're giving up a good chunk of a rapidly appreciating asset. 
if we think that we're getting back to more normal um, in, in home price inflation and even a less than normal period of home price inflation, would we say going back uh, 75 years, it's 4.6% on average. If that number drops to two or 3%, um, you're not giving up nearly as much for this. And, and if, if I, I haven't done research on these recently, but I do believe it is like any other lien. You can buy them out there. There is a return in the note uh, or in the security instrument that secures their ownership interest in the house. So you could buy it out if things were to change. Um, really, it depends on what we're doing with the money. If the house has deferred maintenance and you're going to bring it up to, to speed, um, it, it could be a decent way of, of doing it. Um, if you've pursued all other options and it's your only way of getting money, there are worse things you could do, um, but definitely check into the terms. And if there's more than one uh, of those companies doing that, I'd get bids from both of them and see who will take less of your equity for, for giving you more money. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the, I don't agree with them. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just give I don't love it. Like, I don't love it at all. Yeah. I'm saying if you've exhausted every other option for getting, getting, your yeah. Money. I mean, what are you going to use the money for? It's like, I mean, if your DTI is too high for a HELOC, then you're, I mean, what, what will a HELOC go to these days, Josh? 80%? Or were they, uh, we have 90, but once you go over 80, you're, you're giving it, getting a, a higher margin. Right. Uh, so, I mean, if, if you've only got that amount of money of equity in your property to begin with, I mean, tapping into what, what little you have there, I don't know, just doesn't seem like the right move in my opinion, but you know, again, look at your, your options and, and see what you think. Uh, let's see. Sagatech says booked a new house by bidding over 40,000 over the asking price and locked in a rate at 5.5%. Is there a chance for negotiating the price or any other assistance from the builder during the closing? So typically no. Um, you know, again, we talk about builder contracts being unilateral, very much in favor of the builder, but builders are hurting right now. Many builders are hurting. Some aren't, um, but some are because you know they got a lot of property the market slowed down builders are more willing now to work with uh buyers probably more so than any time over the last two years but you're under contract so negotiating it after the fact is going to be tough um but it's a conversation you can have uh you know you can you know see what you're you got to have some leverage against them right if they have a bunch of available inventory options out there of, of properties and nobody's buying them, you've got more leverage in, in getting them to work with you versus if you're the only, uh, if there's no available inventory out there and you back out, then there's maybe somebody there to take your property. They need to have some fear on their side in order to be able to negotiate. And so I, I don't really know that, that you have any leverage um, other than if the builder's not performing in some way. Right. If the, if the timelines have changed, if, you know, something they, they said they were doing, they're not doing, at which point you have some some leverage on your side to negotiate. But if you just think you paid too much and rates are just too high and your payments there, you might go to the if you're working with the builder's lender or whoever it is and have that conversation, basically just saying, hey, I think this is too expensive or whatever. Thinking of backing out, they might do some incentives, but I can't see much happening there. Josh, any any thoughts? No, you don't have a lot of leverage unless the builder gets to a position where people are backing out of their contracts and they have more homes than they have buyers. So really, in, until that changes, uh, not a lot of leverage. You have a contract. 
All right, there you go. Um, Jose, Jose says people will start taking interest only loans again. So this isn't a question, it's a comment. And I think it's fair to say that's going to be the, the, the truth, right? I mean, when you, when rates are go up, people are more apt to take, you know, again, we've talked about it. People, you know, look at the payment versus the price. So if you can offer me a payment that is less than it would be otherwise, even if it's taking an interest only loan, maybe it's taking an adjustable rate mortgage. That's something that buyers will consider. Now there's a bad history of some of this stuff because people remember the last time with all the other nuances thrown into lending that made it a terrible idea. But no, the idea of interest only, it's going to come back. Um, it, you know, people are going to start to consider, uh, you know, arms and, and interest only again because of, of where payments have gone. Because house prices aren't going to go very far, people. And so the idea well, is how do you how do you make it more affordable? That's how you do it. You look there. This is to a degree a math equation. So why don't we just throw this one up here because it kind of follows along. Um, Nathan says, being in South Orange County, what's your trajectory, trajectory as far as price decline? What will be the new norm for a single family home? So there's a math equation, both in terms of supply and demand and the demand math equation comes into what are buyers able to pay? It's not just a matter of saying, I want to buy, uh, what are you able to pay? So we are hitting the limits of that. Jeb talked earlier, we're hitting a record uh, low levels of affordability. So one of the ways that that can correct is interest rates coming down. Doesn't mean going back to 275 or 3%, but most people would be pretty stoked if rates went to four and a quarter right now. It's almost a 2% drop from where they are. And that's not um, without historical precedent. It's probably where we, we may settle out, somewhere between four and 5% eventually, which is, is much better. That will help the affordability equation. Um, we have demographics. And we also have um, a lot of people set in place that, that don't need to move. So supply is limited, demand is constrained. So it's pretty reasonable to not expect what we've seen over the last couple of years. You know, Jeb Logan runs through the numbers. He had a projection through the end of 2024. He wanted to see about 23 to 24% total price right. appreciation. Right. We blew through that last year. So right. that would have been a healthy appreciation based off of supply demand uh, equation. But we had affordability boosted by really low interest rates. Demand came forward. Supply didn't pop up. And so prices are elevated. We've talked before on the show. Home prices do not have to come down. They can't continue going up because you will run out of potential buyers. Um, but what does it mean? So Jeb, you know, I, I told you, I looked at a number earlier today. Um, you, you may remember who put the report out, but they were projecting a four and a half percent price decrease over the next 12 months. And then a 3% increase over the following. And the only way you can square that is saying that affordability at the current levels is going to push demand down <coughs> where home prices will have to, to decrease. And then recession kicks in, brings rates down, affordability comes up and you have more demand for those homes. So None of us know, none of us have a crystal ball, but when you're looking, it is a math equation. When you pencil it out, those are your most likely outcomes. I don't see a big downturn coming. Um, I could definitely see a protracted period of flat prices until we get better interest rates. Agreed. Yeah, no, I don't remember who put that report out. In fact, I was trying to find it um, yesterday and and I couldn't for whatever reason. I, I read the same report and it never saved it. So um, I'll try to find it. <laughs> and we can uh and and post it on here for for people to to check out. 
Um, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> Woo! Whoa! Did I sound like Ric Flair? Yeah. Um, we're an hour in. I uh, want to ask a favor if you'll hit the like and subscribe if you're finding any value at all. If we've answered your question or you put a question in, we'll get to it. Hit that like. Um, you think Josh and I suck? You can hit the dislike too. That I mean, it's there's two thumbs for two, there for a reason. For two handsome men, you sure are dumb. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I really, I was disappointed they took the count on the on the dislike because I was trying to get as many dislikes as we were likes. But nevertheless, uh, do that for us and uh, keep the show going. We're here every Wednesday for two hours, people. Last year, ninety six hours of, of free education. Um, so we appreciate you doing that. Um, numbers jumped a little bit there. So thank you, but let's get back to some more questions here. Um, let's see. I saw one that I wanted to put up here and now I don't see it. Uh, here we go. Liz says currently under contract with a new build out in Texas, Texas. Do you, or do not have a specific close date, but should we, but should be around, I'm going to start over. They bought a house that looks to close in April. Should they lock the rate now, Josh, a year out? That's aggressive. I, I it It's a long ways. You end up paying a ton. Um, we have a client who's closing in November, and we priced it out in May. And if he had locked it, the rate would have been worse than what today's rates are. So we still made the right decision in not doing it. Um, so when you look... Uh, the the hedging cost for a rate for that that long. We talked what we just had the question the comment pop up. Someone's at three seven five and they've been locked and the, the house still doesn't close for a month. Rates haven't been three seven five since January February. So they had a six month lock at three seven five and someone's paying for that. Um, so from that perspective, you have to say where do I think rates are going to be at that time and probably the biggest question is talk to the lender if it's the builder's lender do you have a float down policy if they have a float down policy that is somewhat reasonable that um, as long as the rate drops at least an eighth of a percent that for the cost of a half of a point in your pricing not a half a point in the interest rate but in the pricing um, you can float down uh, at least one time if they have that float down option I probably would lock it just to give yourself peace of mind that this is my work Worst case, and we're hoping for uh, for the better. And the reality is, if they don't have a float down, and you lock today at 5.75 or 6.25, whatever the number is, and rates are four and three quarters when you close next year, they're not going to tell you, oh, you have to close at at six, or you're not going to close, because they know you're going to go. Well, cool. I'm going to go to Joe's Mortgage down the street, and Joe's giving me 4.75. So it, it can be a part of the builder lender process. I mean, they're making you apply with them. Take advantage of it. Lock. And if the market moves in your favor, have another lender lined up that can get you better terms. If the market goes in your favor. There you go. Good stuff. Um, Nathan says, I don't, I, well, I'm going to start over again. I, I clearly have a hard time reading. I hear don't stretch yourself buying a house. How would you determine this? Closing on first house in uh, Connecticut, 31% total debt to income will have $15,000 in savings after the close. So to me, that's a relatively safe number. I, I feel like 31% debt to income, um, $15,000 in the bank. That's a reasonable, you know, I, I don't feel like that's stretching yourself at all. Now, if you told me that, that you bought a $2 million home, 
I'd say you probably have a problem, but, um, you know, $15,000. I mean, if that's a couple of months of, of mortgage payments, I feel like that's safe. Josh, is there a, is there a number that you look for? No, not necessarily. I mean, we're in Southern California. Just, I pulled up this chart earlier when someone asked what's reasonable, what can I afford? What's stretching yourself? There was another version of this question. So it's awesome that this came up. So I pulled up a chart and the, the headline says Western states and Florida have the highest debt to income ratios. So if you look for us here in California, more than 60% of loans have greater than a 36% debt to income ratio. Well, and are you going to throw something up on the screen or are you just talking? Just, just talking. Okay. Uh, the, it's, it's not the greatest chart, but it's kind of cool to look at. So again, for us in California, greater than 60% of loans have a higher than 36% debt to income ratio and more than 26% of them are over 43%. So again, debt to income, no worries. 31% is great. Um, but debt to income doesn't account for loss of a job and it doesn't mean you get fired or laid off what if you get in a car accident can't work for six months and you don't have disability insurance or your disability is at a lower rate um fifteen thousand is not nothing but again jeb it comes down to if that's a three thousand dollar house payment that's five months that's a, it's a pretty good cushion um i would rather like if, if if we could sit here and manipulate these numbers i'd rather have a 33 percent debt to income and twenty five thousand dollars in the bank but like jeb said you're you're in a reasonable spot um i don't love it but we close loans for people at a 45 percent debt to income and they have uh two weeks of, of spending money left over after we close. It's aggressive and it's risky. Um, and that's some of that risk in FHA markets. Those are more of your FHA first time buyers, higher debt to income, lower reserves. Um, but in, in your situation, don't really have a problem with it. Obviously more would always be better in terms of reserves, but you're in a good spot. Good stuff. Um, Andrew says, media sales price went up from May to June. Uh, despite higher rates, when do you think median sales prices will be pulled down by rates, Josh? I don't I don't know that they will. We've talked about this before. Home prices are sticky to the upside. So there's two parts to the equation. You may have buyers say, hey, I'm not going to pay that. But buyers have limited options. And many sellers, especially when they don't have to sell, are just going to say, well, I won't sell. Uh, this is this is the price that I wanted based off of the recent comparable sales. Um, in terms of them coming down, I, I just don't see a, a big pull down in the number. Now, if you flash back, you ask us six months ago, neither of us projected rates to be at 6%. If rates are at 7.5%, 8.5% for your best qualified borrowers, prices for the homes that do sell have to come down. I expect we would see a lot less volume there because more people would be locked in. The only people selling would be the highly motivated sellers. And then you could see a, a drop, but we don't have forced sales. You may still have highly motivated sellers. I have a client, actually a listener to the show here. Um, they bought last August and now they're getting divorced. They have to sell the house. One of them has to buy the other one out or they have to sell the house. So if the, the market says home's worth 10,000 less than what you paid for it, they have to do it or 10,000 worth worth 10,000 less than last month. They have to accept it. But divorce, inheritance, death, moving for a job, those things are, are forced sales and there will always be sales in the market because of that. But I think we're in a position where a lot of people are going to have a hard time saying, oh, I'll take less than the last person. So could it happen? Yeah, but it's not something that I, I necessarily expect. Well, let's watch. Let's see how the data plays out. If we peak it at rates somewhere here in the low sixes and in the next six months we're down at 5%, I don't think we're going to see any decrease. If rates go up, we could absolutely see it. 
Well, if you understand how median works, right? So it's more houses selling above whatever the number is now to raise or keep that price the same. So if house prices just flatlined and didn't go up or down, but you had more people buying houses in areas, you know, wherever that is above whatever that median price is, that median still going to go up even in a flat market is because of, of how the median is, you know, it's just more sales happening above that. So if Josh is accurate with the American Enterprise Institute article earlier, where the guy said the people at the lower end are going to be more affected, well, that means less sales happening at the lower end. And if people still continue to buy at that higher end, then that median is going to continue to stay where it is and or move sideways. So Again, it's in, and Josh mentioned prices are sticky to the upside. You know, nobody wants to sell for less than their neighbor has sold for or less than they think that their house is worth. Um, And so unless they have to do it, people stay put. And I think that's more of what you're going to see. And Jeb, a, a funny thing about the median is it works. It works the opposite way in, in the big downturn, the big real estate crash in 2007, 2008 median got crushed way more than if you were looking at case shiller which is a paired sales index which is much more accurate case shiller looks at the same house selling over time so same square footage same bed and bath count same neighborhood Um, so it's a statistically more valid number that number came way down also but nowhere near as much as median because what happened is all of the activity was in the foreclosure homes at the low end of the market and median came way way down when the actual measure of home prices didn't get hit quite as bad as what the median did all right good stuff um jose says rocket mortgage has called me every day for the last week they are getting desperate so yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these big companies that you see a lot of advertising for on the radio, on TV, on billboards, listen, they they need the phones to ring and or outbound calls to close deals in order to keep that, um, that, that ship moving forward. And so these companies are the where the layoffs will happen. I mean, you've already seen, I think Rocket's already laid off a, a portion of their staff. It's going to get worse and worse. And all of, you know, the Loan Depot, the big guys out there advertising are the ones affected, right? Because they got a lot of money on the line with uh, with budgets and advertising, marketing. And what so what they started doing, Rocket, uh, about the start of the year, it's trigger leads. So uh, an interesting quirk is if you call me and we want to do a pre-approval, we pull your credit, the credit bureau <coughs> gets to sell the fact that a mortgage company uh, pulled your credit to the highest bidder. So Rocket's buying all of them. And if they have a phone number or an email or anything else they can tie it back to, they figured that maybe you didn't see them in any of their 9,000 TV commercials or radio ads or billboards or TV or newspaper. So they needed to call you. So the only thing that I ask, I would never tell you not to call Rocket because I think it's it's good and educational for you to do so. Um, call Rocket, get a loan estimate and actually talk to someone local in your market. They are stunningly overpriced. And what you're getting for that is a relatively inexperienced person in a call center in a pretty cool system. They do have technology and that piece works well, but you're gonna get put on an assembly line and you're gonna pay a premium for it. So talk to them if you want to, but definitely make sure you're you're shopping and and checking numbers with a local lender because it's gonna save you a ton of money. All right. Jeff Liu says, what have you both seen with respect to the NorCal to OC migration pattern? Any prediction? So 
I've seen, I mean, I don't see many people going the other direction from Orange County North. It's typically people coming down from more expensive areas to more affordable areas here, which seems crazy based on where our prices are. But the Bay Area, outside of the Bay Area, you know, Silicon Valley, all of that, housing is still very, very expensive. And so with people being able to work from home or only having to go in the office a couple of days a week, a lot of people have migrated over over time to to Orange County. So I don't know if the the patterns are still quite as strong as they were during the pandemic. Um, but I, I know that housing here, again, is still more affordable and you still have people that can work from home. So I think the move is still, you know, NorCal to SoCal more so than anything else. But Josh, are you, um, you know, any slowing, any anything changing much there? No, we do talk to a lot of people and kind of the one um, that I always fall back to here on this is uh, is Eichler Homes. So Eichler is a mid-century modern um, uh, architect and we have them here in Southern California. They have them up in the Bay Area. They're literally the same homes. So it's, it's a very good contrast. So in Orange, California here, a four bedroom, two bath, 1900 square foot Eichler is on the market for a million one ninety nine. In Palo Alto, four bedroom, two bath, 1,600 square feet, 300 square feet smaller is on the market for 2.99 million. So the orange price is crazy. Like during the, the downturn, you could pick up an Eichler for $400,000 and now they're a million too. D- didn't an Eichler sell for like 1.8 recently over an orange? Yeah, yeah, a really nice one. So, I mean, they're bitching homes if you're into mid-century modern. So it, it, that wasn't really where I was going with it. I just right. like it because it's a direct comparison. People love in, in Southern California and in Northern California, they love Eichlers and it's a good price comparison. They're the same damn homes, identical, depending on how they've been upgraded. And you're seeing nearly double the price um, in, in the Bay Area. So there's a lot of people, you know, Jeb, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but wouldn't you say we see more people saying, I'm going to buy a, a rental property in Orange County and stay in the Bay Area? Most people don't want to yeah. move. They, they no, like I've, their market. I've had a couple of those over the last couple of years. Um, and in fact, I mean, they've all lived in San Jose um, where they live and, and they've bought down here in Orange County and, and bought rental property just to put their their money somewhere. And, and they're both involved in tech. So I don't know. Maybe there's a, there's a trend there. But um yeah, I think it's definitely more NorCal to SoCal. Well, Jeb, think about what you said there, and it's sort of instructive for other things. We talk about every market is different. Uh, all real estate is local, so let's not talk about what's going to happen in home prices. Like a lot of the questions, like, what do you expect to happen in Orange County? Jeb and, I, Jeb and I can speak on that very well, but if we're saying the nationwide market, who knows? But what you said is really important. My sister in 1987 got married, and they lived in San Mateo, and the first time I went there went to San Jose, I'm like, I don't really like this, but I do remember looking around because I always had family in real estate. The homes were very similar to Orange County and very similar prices. Now San Jose is much higher prices. Even though Orange County is high, San Jose is even higher. And what's the difference? It's technology. They have a large volume of high paying jobs and those people want homes. So it's just kind of just wanted to point out, pay attention to the industry around where you're living. We did an interview, Jeb, um, why am I drawing a blank with your your friend, the, the realtor? In oh, the John. Phoenix. Yep. And John did a really good job of pointing out we 
we have a lot of industry here. A lot of companies have moved here. A lot of jobs that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago when we had that last big downturn, it was because a lot of the people didn't have the high paying jobs. We have more high paying jobs. So look in your area. You know, Atlanta has benefited from that. Dallas, uh, Fort Worth area has benefited from it. Austin has benefited from it. I was in Austin last week and you're kind of like, mind boggled at how many new office buildings are going up and how many big name companies have moved out there with high paying jobs. And you see what's happened to their home prices because of that. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so let's see what we got here. So the Lone Star, <clears throat> what do you think about institutional investors buying up 50% of the Phoenix, Dallas, Fort Worth and Atlanta markets driving up prices? So I don't know if 50% is an accurate number um, for, for institutional investors buying up property, but I mean, what I think about it is, I mean, it, it definitely exacerbates the the problem that we have with with low inventory. Um, it, but there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, so no sense in. I mean, it's one of those things that like you can't control it. So why why concern yourself with it? I mean, it's not great. Whatever, it is what it is. Um, people are looking for. If they're looking for appreciation, they're looking for, you know, a fixed income and, and real estate provides that. And so if they can get, buy a bunch of property, rent it out and, and provide their investors with a stable fixed return, they do well, their invest, their clients do well, and, and, and everything continues to, you know, kind of move on with regards to that industry. So I don't know whether or not I think it's fair. It is what it is. So I, I don't, Josh, what, what are you, uh, anything you want to add on, on institutional investors? I was on a, a live last night with a couple of my friends from around the country. And, uh, I was kind of surprised to hear that in Michigan, they've had a ton of this. You, you hear it more like the, the markets we're talking about Phoenix, DFW, Atlanta. We know that the institutional buyers are there. Um, uh, but he had pointed out they're next door to Canada Canada put some serious restrictions on institutional buying. Oh yeah, in, recently in, too. In general, I don't love government intervention, but this is getting silly because the stuff that's being taken out of the market is the stuff that we need the most. Yep. It's literally like you're allowing the people with the deepest pockets to take not the most valuable things. It's not like they're out buying the Rolls Royces. They're buying the freaking Hondas that everyone needs and we have a shortage of them. So I, I would be in favor of severely limiting institutional buying um, just because it's such a problem for us. Right but now. the problem important. you have there is is the the people that are making the decisions are the ones also benefiting from the institutional investors with regards to deep pockets and and politics and being voted into office. And so it's I don't want to say the system's rigged because that it's very pessimistic. But at the end of the day. It's one big, you know, psych. The, the institutional investors are the ones getting the people in into office that are making the decisions on housing. Therefore, this stuff's never going to change people. Um, I don't know. That That's my thoughts. May, maybe it does. But I, yeah, I'm a little bit pessimistic on it. Um, in, in Canada, what they've done is, you know, they had a lot of foreign buyers, a lot of Asian Chinese money come into Canada. And that's what drove a lot of the prices up. And so they're actually implemented something where if, if you have a vacant property in Canada, you're going to be taxed on that vacancy. Um, and if you don't rent it out, you it has to become a rental. Uh, and if it doesn't, I forget what it is. If, if you decide not to rent it out or for whatever, I forget exactly how it works. You're actually going to be taxed on, on 
that property. Um, it, the thing with institutional investors here is most of them, it's it's local, you know, U.S. money versus being foreign buyers. I think um, at, at this point in the game, but I don't know. I don't know. That's a whole different conversation. We could talk about it and really get nowhere because it, you know, something has to change for that to change. Josh says, so do you think the American dream is in danger with corporations sweeping up houses to safeguard their assets? I think that's pretty much what we, uh, yeah, we just discussed. Say, yeah. I have we a real fear that we're going to be a question. renter's nation. Yeah. I mean, again, yes, I, I, I don't disagree with that. It, it the, the creates a, a, a larger gap um, in, in, I wouldn't say equality, but between the wealthy and those at the lower end. And again, it's something has to be done. I just don't know what can be done. We, Jeb, we talked earlier about academics at the Fed. People have never been out in the real world said, okay, hey, we have to act. So let's buy mortgage-backed securities. It's going to help houses. We're going to stimulate into a rough patch during COVID for the economy. Everyone that owns a home is going to be able to drop their payment. You know, rates went from median rate was just, just around four down to like three and an eight, three and a quarter, something like that for actual loans on homes, not what was available in the market. And that's a fact. The average household, I don't have the exact numbers. I think it was a couple hundred dollars a month. The average homeowner household saved. But if you were not a, a homeowner, you didn't benefit from that. And, and as a matter of fact, not only did you not benefit, you got taxed as home prices went up. And that homeowner that has a, a lower payment, including me and Jeb and anyone else on here that owns a home, gets a lower monthly payment and higher appreciation has built their net worth all while politicians, also mainly academics, also mainly wealthy people, insulated from any of the real world, are talking about inequality and causing inequality um, at the same time. So it's a problem. And much like Jeb just said three minutes ago, I don't know the answer. I don't I don't have one, but we see it every day. I, I talk to more and more people. Like my phone doesn't ring less and my email box isn't less full, but we are doing less loans this year because a lot of those people we talk to can't buy or they can't buy what they want to buy, so they're gonna to continue to rent, or they're gonna move out of state. Everyone wants to own a home. I mean, that's a giant generalization, not everyone. Nearly all people at, at the right point in their life want to own. When we take that away from them, it's not just purely an investment and having equity or being able to you know, decorate your house wherever you want. There's a million and one reasons why the vast majority of Americans would prefer to own their home. And we need to figure out how to make that a reality and the the numbers are just difficult right now um and josh has another question here it says investment property or home for myself first i have no family to live with and sick of paying rent but i'm thinking cash flow is better than self-investment in this current economy so first thing i would say is can you find a property that will cash flow um you know that's in some markets that's tough right coming to california very difficult to find a property that's going to cash flow unless you have a huge, you know, a large down payment. So that's something you need to consider. But Josh, what are your thoughts on investment property or home for yourself? I mean, maybe a duplex, maybe a triplex, something where you can live in one of the units, rent the other two, three out in order to help you cover the mortgage. Always a, a, a good opportunity there for a first time home buyer if you can find the right property. Um, you know, three. the thing with, go ahead. I was going to say three and four units can be very difficult um, because it's going to require 25% down if you go with conventional financing. Portfolio lenders may do it at 20%, um, but FHA allows three and a half percent. 
but most places rent prices haven't kept up with home values. So FHA has a self-sufficiency test in their guidelines, which says that the rents from all three or all four units, even though you're gonna live in one, multiplied by 75% to allow for a vacancy and, and, and maintenance factor has to exceed the mortgage payment. And with rates higher now, hardly anywhere passes the self-sufficiency test. So I agree 100%, Jeb, it, it's a great idea for a first-time buyer to get a duplex, to get a three or four unit, because their cost of shelter is less. They can sort of um, control a, a more expensive property, get better benefit from the appreciation, but it's really hard um, financially to make that happen. But the bigger question here, Jeb, is I've had a couple people here call recently, hey, I can't afford to buy, I wanna buy an investment property. You go, okay. That's a, a, a single a larger down payment is going to be at least 15% down with expensive mortgage insurance and an expensive rate. So your cash flow doesn't work from that perspective. Um, you still have to own or rent a place to put a roof over your head. And because about three, four years ago, when home prices really started going up again, um, we were having reverse occupancy fraud. So people think of saying, hey, I want to say I'm going to live in the property so I can get a lower interest rate. People were going to live in the home, but didn't qualify. They said, oh, I'm not going to live in it. I'm going to rent it out. They were happy to pay the higher interest rate just to get the home so they could use rents to offset the payment and qualify. So now there's some pretty serious restrictions on that. It's very difficult to qualify for an investment property when you don't already own a home. So I would go back to what Jeb said. Units, probably FHA duplex is the best and easiest button to kind of get you the best of both worlds there. Um, not an easy market, No, still no easy markets with even with things cooling, but that uh, that's a good way for you to, to take advantage of both. Well, you said something important that I didn't even, I mean, register with me is that when you, if you buy an investment property and you're not in units, you still have to pay rent somewhere, right? So what's the benefit of owning a property um, and somebody paying you rent unless you can get some you know, crazy amount of cash flow on that property to help offset your current rent. But, you know, it, it's got to make sense. And and so like Josh would say, the numbers never lie. So run it both ways and, and you'll find out pretty quickly whether or not it's it's something you should consider. Here's a follow-up question. And it's sort of I, what I meant to include in that answer. So Andrew says, Josh, not this Josh, Josh right. would ask the question, plan B, buy a single family with a section that can be Airbnb to give you some cash flow. Um, we have this whole idea of house hacking, lots of YouTube videos on how to do this. If you can qualify and get in and you're cool renting a couple rooms, you know, Freddie, our, our listener, I, I don't know if he watches anymore because he, he got his home, but he rents, he, he, if you guys remember, he bought an FHA, seven months later, we put him into a conventional loan, got rid of his mortgage insurance. He stays in the master, he rents two or three of the other rooms out and hardly pays anything for the house. So it can be a great strategy, but you still have to get in and qualify because even though your two best friends are gonna live with you and pay you $1,000 a month rent rather than renting an apartment, we can't use that to qualify. But the Airbnb piece, very similar. You can't use that to qualify, but if you have a section of the home that you know you can throw up on Airbnb and you can do your research and get comfortable with it, I'm in favor of doing whatever you have to do. In a perfect world, I was not that guy. I didn't want people, I'm private, I like to be quiet, I don't like people in my space, but if you can do it and it enables you to become a homeowner in this market, I would absolutely be in favor of any of these options that people are throwing out. All right, let's see. I don't know what uh, they're talking about there. So we'll just continue to move along. Um, let's see. So uh, I'm going to ask again, 
that you guys hit the like and subscribe. We've been on hour and 23 minutes. It's that time in the show. Um, and also, guys, I uh, didn't mention it at the beginning, uh, you know, looking for topics on the Educated Home Buyer, the podcast, which is separate from this. Um, if you go out and look at any, you know, of your podcast platforms, it looks like that little logo up there in the top right hand corner. Uh, this last week's episode, we talked about HOAs. Week before, we talked about single families versus townhomes, condos. Really want to provide the information that you guys want. It's 30 or so minutes deep dive into a topic. And so, you know, if we're just talking about things we want to talk about, you guys don't benefit unless, you know, we end up covering something that you had no idea you wanted to know. So leave us, you know, a comment here, guys. Let us know what you want to hear if you're a listener to the show. If you haven't, listen to the show. Let us know what you think. Anything you want to add on that one, Josh? Uh, just in terms of the podcast, no, anything you guys want to hear, um, Jeb and I would be happy to cover. And the cool thing about that format, especially if you guys throw an idea up here, it's sometimes a little bit difficult here, just off the cuff to come up with an answer. We can Google something really quickly, but give us a couple of hours to do our research and we can go deep on just about anything that you guys want to know. Good stuff. Um, what's the luxury market going to do in this market? So, it's a good question. Um, luxury market is going to slow, um, just like everything else is going to slow. Um, days on the market for luxury properties is typically way higher than that of, of entry-level homes. So you're going to see homes sitting on the market longer there. You'll see bigger price cuts on those properties because, again, a larger price cut on a more expensive home, is the percentage, you know, the, the number might seem large with the price cut, but the, the percentage that it's being cut is, is usually pretty relative to, to the lower end price points as well, just depending on how their prices start. But it's going to be no different. But what I can tell you is there's still a lot of cash out there. Um, in fact, I was in, in uh, my office yesterday talking to an agent in my office, and she just listed a property in Santa Monica at $4 million. Actually listed it at three five. They had seven offers um, and countered six of them. Out of the six, four of them were cash and it ended up selling for over $4 million. So it sold for $500,000 over the asking price. I don't know what the number was exactly, but four of the six or seven offers were cash. So there's still a lot of money out there, a lot of, um, and she said out of those four offers, a couple of them were portfolios of people that had somewhere between 15 and $20 million they were looking to park in real estate. So that tells me now that's LA, that's a little bit different market, but there's money out there that is looking to go from maybe equities, maybe go from different, you know, asset classes into real estate. Why? Because it's stable, again, fixed returns, whatever the reasons that you want to invest in real estate, but there's still a lot of big money out there headed that direction. Um, so, it, you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen in luxury. Luxury is one of those spaces where, it's it's really less about what the comparables have sold for and more about somebody finding value in whatever that property is at that level, right? I mean, some of these properties sell for numbers that, you know, just arbitrarily made up for whatever reason says, hey, this is the number. And then it ends up selling, you know, maybe somewhere close to that number or above or whatever, just because somebody finds value in it. Um, so again, it's it don't know for sure, but it, it's going to follow it's going to follow, you know, real estate at the lower end. Typically the luxury space gets hit first. Um, but I don't know that we've seen it this time because again, there's so many people looking to park money in real estate, even at the higher end. 
Josh, well, anything not, on luxury? Not, not only wanting to park money, they've been insulated from some of the issues that other people are having. Well, that's wealth, true. And the wealth effect has been so big, kind of to your point, they have large chunks of cash. The, the, the last couple of years have been really good for people with assets. So if you're sitting on a windfall, buying a bitchin' property isn't as hard to do. So no. yeah, typ typically we're not seeing what we typically see. Well, that and a lot of the people buying again or move some of these people are move up buyers and they're taking money that they've made over the last couple of years in real estate and able to transfer that. So a lot of those people are, are less affected because they have the money coming from other places to do it. Um, and that's one thing that is going to affect that that entry level buyers. They don't have the large down payment. So, you know, yes, rates are higher, but some buyers are able to just say, you know what? absorb it because now they've taken such a large chunk out of, of whatever they're selling or maybe pulled some cash out of a property because of that appreciation and able to put it forward. Um, and, you know, yeah, the payment may be more expensive than they wanted, but they also have more down than they, they would have had otherwise. So uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously the next six, eight months will be pretty telling across the board. This uh, this would be better for an interview format, but we're always looking for new questions. So building builder builder sip, I thought it was builder chip or builder clip, but it's builder sip. Yeah. Uh, with a recently acquired dual citizenship, I just bought four more lots to build in Rosarito, Mexico. I currently own an Airbnb there, and now plan on building apartments to rent to new gringos. This sounds crazy. When I say this, it sounds crazy saying it, but I listened to a podcast with a girl the other day that moved full time down to Baja and she makes $35,000 a year and she lives well there, not living so great in, in uh, America or California. The dual citizenship thing here really helps. For those of you that don't know, um, the Mexican government makes it really hard for Americans to own property. They do it with leases. They change the rules. But there's a lot of this going on, more expats than ever. Spanish is not a difficult language to learn. If you haven't already picked it up, we're surrounded by it here in, in California and Florida and Texas. So it's, it's an interesting trend of people moving down there, retiring down there. This was the first time I'd heard a younger person. We hear Puerto Rico, but a, a lot of this stuff, I mean, that, that can impact things longer term also. If you can take your job with you and you can go somewhere in Mexico with a good internet connection and do your job in America, you can live a lot, a lot better. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, we got uh, Kevin uh, saying that uh, insight into Freddie Mac letting single family home buyers use ADU rental income to qualify would be a great topic. So Josh, put that one on there. We could talk about um, some let's, guidelines. Let's just, let's just do a whole episode or even a couple of episodes on ADUs because it's a big thing. People want ADUs to sort of help in terms of, uh, of affordability. So it's a great topic. And understand people, that's another reason that people are going to stay put, right? I mean, now with these ADU laws and buyers having, or homeowners rather having super low rates in, people don't want to move. So what do they do? They try to find another way to, to add on, right? We had somebody earlier ask about um, home equity lines of credit uh, to do an addition. And, and I don't know where that question disappeared to. Maybe it's still in our, our queue here. Uh, but People are going to find ways to add on or do the ADU, bring in income and that sort of thing, right? Keep that that mortgage where it is, that first mortgage, and do things to add on to the value of their property so they don't have to get rid of that loan uh, at the super low rate they have locked in. And California has made some of these laws that are friendly 
that allow for ADUs. Um, so bigger lots, you know, and those types of properties are, are going to sell for a premium because there's a lot of people out there looking to take advantage of some of this stuff. See, now, Josh, we, did you see we, that question we, I had earlier? We ask a question. Oh, they here it was. A, they give us a hell of an assignment because the ADU stuff is new and changing and detailed, but we'll absolutely cover it for you guys. So Mr. Ram fan um, from 1982, uh, he outgrew his current home and got priced out of the current market. Would you suggest a HELOC or a HELON for an addition? So what this what this person's saying, um, this gentleman's saying is that it's got a current loan that that's locked in, probably at a super low interest rate, been priced out of having to be able to buy anything in this market. So can he pull some cash out of his property by doing a home equity line of credit or a loan? Um, in addition to his current mortgage, a second mortgage, if you will, to, uh, to pull out that equity. So Josh, what are your thoughts on that? It all depends on where you think interest rates are going to end up. An important thing to know with the, the home equity line of credit, like credit cards, the Fed does control that directly. We talk about mortgage rates that are not directly impacted by Fed moves. But next month, when the Fed increases three quarters of a percent, home equity lines are going to go up three quarters of a percent. If they get where they want to through the rest of the year, you're going to be 2% higher by the end of the year. The home equity loan is a fixed rate um, so and a, and a fixed repayment period. So you don't have the benefit of that interest only and the benefit or the downside of the interest only period. So you're going to have a higher payment. You're going to have a higher interest rate in the short run. But a few folks that I talked to earlier in the year, we don't really do a whole heck of a lot of seconds. We don't have great sources for it. But when I talked to them earlier in the year, I'm telling them, hey, I'd take that, that the home equity loan at 5.75 because your HELOC is going to be higher than that by the end of the year. And they're like, oh, that's crazy. And they took out their, they took out the HELOC and now wish they had a loan. So the primary benefits to the HELOC is for the draw period, most HELOCs will have an interest only payment. So the payment's going to be lower. It's going to start at a lower interest rate and you don't have to pay interest on it until you actually borrow it. So say you're building an ADU, you take out $100,000, you're only paying interest as you're paying out the money. Those are the benefits to it. The downside is it's variable. The downside is after that interest only draw period, which is usually 10, sometimes 15 years, you have a 10 to 15 year repayment period with uh, a fully amortizing payment. Um, and the variable rate is probably the biggest thing about it, the biggest downside to it. So uh, think it through, think it through what you're gonna use the money for, how quickly you're gonna use it for. I lean towards the, the home equity loan, but I certainly understand why a lot of people are going with a home equity line of credit. Good stuff. Um, so had a couple of people in the chat reach out and ask um, about getting connected. Uh, to Josh um, and or myself. So I put some links up here on the screen. You know, if you're in our local market, obviously it's it's pretty easy to have the conversation, but maybe you're out of state and, and still want um, an expert opinion. That link will allow you to connect with us, can have that consultation and get you the information that you need. Um, and if you want to get you know, uh, connected with Josh directly and or a lender anywhere in the United States and or a real estate agent, you can use that link at the bottom there, the jebsmith.net referral link. Uh, it'll get you connected to an expert, whether you're looking for a loan or a real estate agent. So hopefully for those that you were looking for that, uh, that gives you the information that you need. Um, Josh, so one thing you and I talked about yesterday and I put it out um, on, uh, uh, on the community forum on YouTube was asking people, if we did another YouTube channel separately from what I have now, um, maybe a Jeb and Josh combined thing where every single day we do a 15 to 30 minute live 
talking they, they, about. They all checked out it every day. They're like, real, no, real estate. No, the answer is no. So I, I just want to know, is there any interest? Do you watch any channels where people do a live every day? That's all they do. So the channel would be no pre-recorded videos. It would just be what's happening that day. You guys see any value in that at all? Leave it in the comments. I'm, I'm just curious to know what, what people think about um, that sort of thing. And and so. the thought the thought process there is we talk a lot about, Jeb, did you see this report? Did you see right. this piece of news? So if you go back, if you're old like us and you remember when people started blogging and they'd have their blog roll over to the side so you could see the things they're reading, um, we're basically going to give the daily analysis of the five to seven things that both of us go through every day, do um, not necessarily a deep dive, but a little bit of analysis on it, give you the links so you can read through it so you'll know what we're looking at. Um, again, Jeb and I don't have crystal balls. We uh, we do a lot of research. How do you know my have? <laughs> let's, what do you know? Your wife, your, your wife told me <laughs> that Jeb does not have crystal balls. So from uh, from that perspective, it, it really it allows you to read the same things we're reading, and maybe you analyze it differently. Maybe you look at it and go, "Hey, those guys are nuts," but at least you can look over our shoulder and see the stuff that we're going through and analyzing when we come to these uh, these thoughts. So Jennifer Lego was a hard no. <laughs> So this wouldn't need a moderator, people. This would be uh, people could comment, but there would be very little question taking. Um, this would Does Jennifer have a day job where she's not allowed to jump on? With I think she's like a doctor or a nurse or something. So she's basically saying that she doesn't want to do that at work is what I'm getting from this. The pay here is it is it great? Uh, so Jonathan has a question, says rentals are uh, up 10 to 15 percent in Orange County and are as competitive as home buying. Yes, they are. Um, should I renew it 5% rent raise in Irvine and wait or purchase a home with a 5% down payment in the eight to $900,000 range? So I would tell you if you can, again, you can afford the payment between eight, $900,000 and buy now, I think long-term it's a better move versus continuing to rent. I don't know that renting even, you know, going only going up by 5%. I don't even know what your rent is, but I have an idea of where you're living in Irvine about what it is. Irvine is always, Irvine is probably one of the more desirable cities in Orange County for many reasons. Um, the values there are going to, are really sticky to the upside. Um, there, there's, you know, huge demand for, for people wanting to be there. So I don't know if you can get into Irvine market if that's where you're looking, but if you are, I would say that, you know, I, I think buying is, is better than renting um, for, for many reasons that we've talked about here before, but that, that to me is the right move, but it's got to make sense to you, right. And, and your life and, and be affordable and all of that good stuff. And really a lot of this comes back to that. Is it the right point in your life? And are you stable? And do you have that five to seven year time horizon? Jeb's gone through it. I've gone through it many a time. But I have zero worries for someone buying today that has that perspective um, because you're going to pay the house down in the next seven years. It's going to be worth more than what it is today. It may not go up a ton. It may not look great relative to the last seven years, but you're going to to have all of the benefits of owning a home and, and home ownership. So from from that perspective, if you want to buy and you have a long term perspective and it's the right time. I, there's nothing about this market that tells me I wouldn't do it. Would I have rather done it two years ago? Yes. Would I have rather done it nine years ago? Yes. But we can't go back and change the past. You can only act in the present. There you go. Very profound. Um, I try. I try. A-Votion. A-V-Ocean. A-V-Ocean. 
Tampa-ation. I have no idea. Um, the flip market is concerning in Tampa. I'm seeing these flippers trying to pull $60,000 in equity after $10,000 in upgrades. Within two months of their purchase, it's back on upside down on the loan is a fear. So I will tell you, I see a I see the future of some of these flippers out there. These guys are going to get hammered um, because they're buying properties at prices that are well above what they probably should be paying and, and thinking that they can still squeak out some of these values. I, it's going to happen. It, you know, we, we've even seen it in this market, people overpaying for property. They've gotten away with it because the market appreciated so much within a short period of time, but that's not going to be the case going forward. So there's going to be some flippers out there that bought property that, you know, took too long to redo it and are going to end up getting, maybe they don't, it, maybe they don't end up uh, having to sell it for less, but they're not going to walk away with, with what they think they are. Josh, what are you seeing in the, uh, in the wholesale flipping market? I, I agree with you on that. And I think it's important to know, did the person start flipping? Like if you're flipping in the down market, when there's an opportunity because home prices are cheap and you're flipping, knowing that you have to make a really nice product to sell in, in a, a high supply market, it's very different. When we were doing things in 2008, 2009, 2010, you better make those houses nice because there's 14 foreclosures on the street at a much lower price point that the person can buy. It rapidly by 2011, 2012, 2013, it was who can do the least work um, to get a decent margin on it and just churn and burn and move on. So just be careful who you're buying from, what you're looking at, if you're considering a flip home. But in this question, I always go back to, we get a lot of comments when people were having to overbid, wave appraisals, people talking about they're paying way more than fair market value. The market dictates what the price is. I made my profits flipping homes when I bought them. Had nothing to do with how much I put into them. Some of them we put $100,000 into, some of them we put $22,000 into. We made the money on the buy. So the buy plus whatever work you put into it and then the market value is going to dictate. So I wouldn't say, hey, someone only put $10,000 of upgrades and they wanna get $60,000 out of it. If they made a smoke and buy, hey, good for them. That house I bought last year for 500,000, we put 110, $120,000 into it. And today it's worth 925, 950. So you say, oh, this lunatic wants $300,000 in a year. Well, no, we made a really good buy. We did a really nice job fixing it up and the market went crazy. So here, here we are sitting on that. The market is always going to tell you what it is. So you could be absolutely right that it's a crazy flipper that's never going to get that amount of money. But the fact that they only put 10 grand in and they might profit $60,000 tells you nothing about how the market values that home. Good stuff. Um, good, good stuff. Let's see here. Um, let's see. Here's actually a good one, Jeb. Yeah, um, I'm going to read it. You're going to answer it. Currently in escrow for a new home, but we have to sell our current home first. It's been listed for a week, but we've not had a single offer. We already listed 60K under value. I'm not sure what value is. Uh, advice, back out. It's a week. There's nothing to worry about. Like, no concern. Zero. I don't even know where your property is, what it's price. One week, there's no cause for concern. Um, understand. I mean, the again, the market is changing. It's shifting. It's slowing down. I don't know what the average days on market in your market is, but I mean, here locally, it's, you know, it's like 35 days or so. Um, home sits on the market for a week, no showings, no, no cause for concern. Initially, uh, you just got to continue to watch it, continue to see what, what's happening around you, what's happening with the comparables. Um, if you're priced 
again, you're saying you're priced $60,000 under value. I mean, where are you getting the 60,000 under value from? Where's that number coming from? Um, was that a home that sold, you know, four months ago and, you know, before rates went up, then maybe you're not priced 60,000 below market value. In fact, I have one at the moment that's priced, you know, about $60,000 under a property that sold, uh, four months ago. It's a different market four months ago. Um, rates were a lot lower then, right? So it it's all relative. It's But the, the, the key here is one week. One week, there's no concern. I don't care what market you're in. So just continue to watch it. Best you're example I have, Jeb, I got a client right now that I thought it was nuts. In a very tight market, they were able to get a contingent offer accepted and they hadn't listed the house listed it the day after they got it accepted at a very aggressive price, aggressive meaning they wanted top dollar for it. Um, and it's out in the high desert. And we're looking going, this will be interesting. Rates are going up. It's a high desert market, a tight affordability market with prices up as much as it is. And they had to do two price cuts. Their seller hung in with them for 35 days while it took to, to get their house on the market or under, under contract. And they did get the house sold and we closed yesterday or maybe this morning um, on their home because they walked away with just enough money to finish the, the new purchase. So everything you said, Jeb, um, it, people have been, sellers have been spoiled in terms of what their expectations are of how quickly a home But it's sell. part of the realtor's job to set those expectations now in a changing market, right? It's part of having that conversation that says, Hey, listen, if your realtor's panicking, you got a problem, um, that, that one, maybe the wrong realtor, but one, maybe they don't understand the market or, or understand how things work. There's a lot of agents out there that haven't been an agent in a normal market where properties doesn't don't sell immediately. I mean, during, you know, uh, the, the last housing crash in 08, you know, homes set on the market six, seven, eight months, some of these things. Hell, some of them were a year. You're talking about having difficult conversations. Those conversations sucked versus a property hasn't sold in a week. Now, come on. Um, let's see what we got here. So I saw a question I was going to click on and I lost it. Uh, it was uh, it was asking about tax returns. Josh, the question was. What line on a tax return does an underwriter look at for income? It's the adjusted gross income, right? An underwriter doesn't look at your your adjusted gross income. They're not even necessarily looking at the tax return. Each piece of it has to be analyzed. So if you're self-employed, they're going to look at um, the Schedule C and analyze that. There are certain things going to be added back, uh, depreciation, depletion, the depreciation portion of the auto expense. We have to take away, again, this year, now that half of your, your meal expenses uh, are not deductible. So there's a full analysis of the tax return for a self-employed person. And if you're not self-employed and you're a W-2 employee, they're not looking at the adjusted gross income of, of what you earned last year. They're analyzing pay stubs, W-2s, verification of employment to see what you're going to make this year and moving forward. Variable income sometimes needs to be averaged. Um, there's any number of ways that you need to, to work with that and, and handle it. I see that you had commented about reaching out to you. So it's yeah, just, yeah. And, and Drew, it's, Drew and I have talked before. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, we need to, we need to go a little deeper on it to, to get an accurate answer for you. All right. So we got two questions here that I think are both good questions, um, especially regarding rates. So if you're somebody out there understands rates or interested in rates, these are questions that, you know, I, I feel like are good questions. Why is it that jumbo rates are lower than conforming rates, Josh? 
generally stricter underwriting standards, um, and, and they're not a ton lower depending on where you're going. They're they're lower, but they're diff more difficult to qualify for. So from the lender's perspective, there's a lower risk of default. They don't have the benefit. Generally, why have, have, have Fannie Freddie rates been lower than jumbo loans is because they can be packaged and sold. It's easier for the lender to not have to hold on to them. But the secondary markets for mortgages are saying, hey, we would rather have the security of slightly larger loans with higher credit scores, lower loan to values than what we're seeing in in your normal Fannie Freddie stuff. And I feel like that's a pretty like like high level question for such a young lady. <laughs> she's she's quite young. <laughs> she is quite young, but looking, she's looking to uh, you know get the education to be a home buyer. Clearly, uh, Brandon says lenders charging almost two points to extend my rate lock. Wouldn't it be better just to let the rate expire and get a new rate with a two-point buy-down? Josh, can you just let your rate expire and immediately relock it and pay the two points to buy down the rate? I love the question. You absolutely can do that. Um, the, the question becomes, how long do we need to, to lock? So I, I think it was, it was a, a new construction, right? This just got pushed out because he had asked the question and then kind of gave us more detail as he went. Um, as long as we know that say, hey, in the next 30 days, it's gonna be closed, fantastic. You're gonna do just fine um, there by going, okay, here's my current lock, here's what the cost is, here's if I take that cost to current pricing. And the lender should be able to do that for you um, and, and tell you if it's more beneficial to go that route. We are always doing that calculus when we're coming to the end. We talked earlier in the show, do I need to extend now? Well, my rate lock expires on July 12th when it's supposed to be finished on the 13th. Well, we usually wait till the very last moment and you look at it and you see where is the market now? What does it cost if we go to worst case and, and relock? What does it cost to extend and which of those is, is better? So you're absolutely right that you need your lender to just walk you through that of saying, what does it look like if I'm gonna expire tomorrow? What does the extension look like? What does relocking at worst case and which one's cheaper for me? There you go. Devi says, is a HELOC a good idea to add square footage to a primary home or sell the small primary home and move up into the bigger house in the same area? So good question. Um, I would say, can you find what you want in your area? Um, can you find the move up home? And is it affordable? If you can, I think that's the better move. Um, but with that, maybe you're paying more property. I mean, if you're in California, that means you're paying more property tax. I mean, all the expenses go up. Um, but typically speaking, if you can find the house that already has the work done, it's going to be a, a little bit more enjoyable process versus dealing with construction and contractors and overbids and things being more expensive than you probably thought they were. Uh, it's one of those scenarios to each his own, but I, it's usually more, it's usually cheaper to do the work. Not maybe not in this market, but you know, historically speaking, it's usually cheaper to add the square footage versus going out and trying to, to, to buy the house that has it. But you know, if you can find the house that has it, that to me is the right move. Um, that's what I would consider over, over the other option. I would I would lean towards the same. The the two things that came to my mind is Jeff, exactly what you said. In a normal market, you can you can build and kind of do it the way you want. Last few years, contractors have been super busy. It's been nuts, been difficult dealing with them. Um, and then the other thing is most people, it's not in their wheelhouse to manage a project, to pick materials, to um, work with a contractor and the ability to just walk right into a home and, and have it done. Um, 
generally for most people is the better route, but there's a, a million other things uh, to consider there in terms of your current rate, your current property, new property, new rate, all that fun stuff. All right. Um, Wisdom Tube says, "Do you th what do you think about Charlotte housing market? I have uh, some buddies uh, that actually do a they they own a couple different businesses in charlotte i know the market there's been crazy uh i do think it's slowing down like a lot of the united states um is at the moment just a changing market but honestly not there enough to give you any any real insight on that there's a handful of youtubers out there some with successful channels that follow the charlotte market so um a little bit of a, a youtube search will find you somebody just find somebody you can trust and and understands the market get you that info uh, David says, I know you guys are residential, but I think talking about commercial real estate news or issues would be a great addition to the first time home buyer podcast. So I like that, Josh, maybe get somebody on there that knows commercial and understands commercial because I mean, commercial doesn't directly affect residential, but you know, there, there are some similar similarities in those. And, you know, if you see a slowdown in one, which, you know, with a recession coming, you might see more of a slowdown in, in, in the commercial space, um, in leasing and buying properties. But I, I don't know. I, I, but I do think it's, it's good to, even if you're a home buyer, residential home buyer, it's good to understand the macro view of, of all real estate. Um, it just makes you more educated. Um, and, and that's the goal. So yeah, Ooh. no, David, I appreciate that. Let you you're freezing on me. What's going on over there? You left. Your I don't know if he's buying the business, the building. Oh no, no. Okay, so he no. He says he's buying. Uh, I didn't talk about the the Red Robin part, but um, I, I'm assuming buying. No, what the... I what I'm saying is that's that's the important part because hopefully he has some input because Red Robin used to be fantastic and now they're all going downhill. So hopefully he can turn it around or force his new they tenant have a, they, to do the French fries to do a better job. Though. Just yeah. just saying. Delicious French fries. And they don't stop. They just keep bringing them. I mean, it's great. Yeah. The best concept ever. If you're going to open a restaurant, just give me free French fries. It's great. I like it. People are probably wondering what the hell's Red Robin. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, we are an hour and 53 minutes in. Um, Josh, have you seen any sellers paying buyers closing costs recently? I haven't seen a any of it personally. Um, I've talked about some uh, videos where you know, sellers can start paying points and doing some other things. Um, in fact, I have a video that's coming out tomorrow. I don't know when I have it scheduled, maybe tomorrow, maybe Friday, uh, where I talk about this in more detail. I haven't seen it uh, personally, but I, I will say you're going to see more of it um, just because as properties sit a little bit longer, yeah, sellers want to sell. They're going to be willing to work with offers that are asking for credits towards closing costs. But Josh, have Jeb, you seen any? You and your channel indirectly brought it into being. Um, Lucy, one of the viewers here that's commented multiple times, um, we're helping her with a place up in Northern California. And she came to me with a plan and said, hey, I have found the property. Uh, it's been on the market a while, had a price reduction. Um, I want to get in. I'm just going to take the three and a half percent for the FHA from my 401k as a loan. And I want the seller to pay everything else. She got a really good agent uh, on her side and it took some back and forth, but we literally got the sellers to pay everything. So all prepaids, all closing costs, she's getting in with her three and a half percent down. We just got the loan approval um, this afternoon. Again, that call I was on last night, a uh, loan officer in Texas and a loan officer in Michigan. And both of them said, is it common? No, but definitely starting to see it. And we, none of us had seen it for the last 18 months. So um, still not common, but 
sellers are seeing it as a way to move their home without cutting their price or just get it on uh, into escrow faster uh, than sitting around waiting for someone to make a full price offer with uh, with no concessions. All right, good, good stuff. Um, let's see. We are, let's take a couple more questions here if we can find one, Josh. Um, I don't really see a lot. Here we go. Uh, we'll go determinator. Uh, I've heard that each increase in percentage point decreases affordability by 13%. Wouldn't prices for houses sold by motivated sellers need to come down? How so, many motivated sellers do we have? I don't know. And, and, and who's to say that you don't have a buyer that's willing or able to pay that, 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 increase in in uh 13 of affordability i mean prices again here in orange county the payment has gone up 45 percent for many buyers out there because of where rates are there's still people buying uh there are clearly people that are priced out too so until you get to a point when again the the num the demand is lower um or is higher than the supply is is lower than the demand then no, supply is lower. It's higher. Uh, yeah, the supply is higher you'll, than you'll demand. get to it. We're uh, yeah, there we go. Fight. Eventually, my my mind's not working. Um, then you you don't have people that have to do anything, right? I mean, I realize inventory is 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 increasing and things are slower, but people, let's understand that does not immediately mean that sellers have to accept something lower or that the market has to have some big price correction. I just went off the screen there. Josh, did I did I die? I died. You did your phone I did die? Your camera die? I did. It did die. Holy! We have the ghost. God. We have the ghost of Jeb answering questions. Well, you do your thing, dude. I'm going to plug back in here. Well, this is what I told you. You need one of those fancy plugged-in uh, pseudo batteries that I have here. You don't ever have to worry about that. Well, I guess not. Well, hell, this is fun. How do you guys no. like this? A show with no, uh, with no, with no, no actual host. How Go long? Ahead, how, long how long does it take the host to plug in a new battery? Is the, is oh, the what do we got? We I see a a, a round uh, there. Uh, we got to. That's a different camera. We got this camera. We could go to that camera if we wanted. All right, just go talk. I don't know. I'll try to add the other one back in here if we can. There we go, people. Sorry. Now they now this they see the amateur glowing, hour. The glowing the amateur hour. tree is what lights your head up. Amateur hour. So did we finish that question? I have no idea. I went out. Ah, for the most part, you, you you got through it. All right. So, guys, this is what we're going to do here. We are going to ask, again, for some favors, uh, like we always do towards the end of the show. It's been two hours. Uh, before we do that, though, I'm going to give you a link here at the bottom of the screen that if you want to get connected with a lender, with a real estate professional anywhere in the country, you want to get in touch with Josh, uh, you could fill out that link below. It'll get you there um, to where you need to go. Um. If you haven't already, ask that you hit the thumbs up uh, and, you know, follow us, share us, watch us. Uh, again, two hours every week, a lot of free content, a lot of free education. Don't really ask for anything. In fact, I don't know that either of us make any money by being here. In fact, we probably lose money uh, based on what we earn an hour uh, to be here. So, you know, hit the thumbs up. It, it helps. And lastly, I'll put some information up here if you want to get in touch with Josh or myself. 
have a consultation, a deep dive into something that's going on. Josh, any parting words this evening? No, uh, interesting times. So ask your questions, do your research, uh, make up your own opinions and make good decisions. Wow. Very profound. Don't come here looking for advice. You get your, you make your own decisions. You understand? Figure, figure it out. Yeah, you guys figure it out. Then host a YouTube channel. We're going to watch you for the answers. No, but guys, we do appreciate you being here. I finally feel better after two weeks after COVID. I mean, it literally took everything. I had an IV yesterday. One of the, like the uh, vitamins, all that crap. Dude, I'm telling you, it worked a miracle. Like today's the first day I don't feel like somewhat foggy. So I recommend it. If there's any sponsors out there, it was expensive. It was over $205 for that damn thing, dude. But I would have paid it again. I'll pay it again if I feel like hell again, just so you know. So I need a sponsor. Anyway, uh, no, guys, we appreciate you being here. We'll be back next Wednesday with another two hours. Um, if we can help you before, reach out. Until then, adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.